Well, good morning. And Happy New Year. That may seem a little strange or a little bit off, uh, but as the video said, Christians tell time differently. And as the first Sunday of Advent, we begin the new year of the Christian calendar that we just sort of got walked through a little bit there. Um, Now, some of you may be familiar with this alternative calendar uh, that that we just learned. Uh, You may be familiar with the seasons of Advent, Christmas, Epiphany, Lent, Easter, and Pentecost. Uh, But others of you may not be. So as we dive in this morning, I want to answer a couple of questions and, and the first question about all of this is just, is, is any of this biblical? Or like, where does this come from? What does this mean? Um, and the answer to that is sort of yes and no. Uh, what I mean by that is on the one hand, the observance of Advent or Lent and the celebration of Christmas are not recorded in Scripture. However, as we saw in each of these seasons, it's entirely immersed, immersed in the story of the Bible, of Jesus, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection. Um, So it's, in in many ways, immensely biblical. Uh, This is the heart of our faith. And additionally, though commands or examples of practicing these specific seasons and celebrations aren't in the Bible, there are many seasons and celebrations that God did command the nation of Israel to keep and to remember his story and their story with him. So practicing these things, in many ways, keeps the heart of those examples that we have in the Old Testament, and it helps us to remember the story of Christ throughout the year. So a second question is, okay, whether or not these are are biblical, uh, yes and no, but is it helpful? And again, I can't give really a straight answer to that, because that'll really depend on you. Uh, you know, some people may have grown up in churches that practice these seasons, and they may have had a bad experience. Maybe it felt a little too traditional or too strict or forced. Um, others of you may not have any experience with these kinds of seasons, um, and they just feel distracting. But I imagine that some of you have been blessed by focused seasons, such as Advent. Or I know I've heard from many of you that you've been blessed by the annual Good Friday service that's, that's certainly rooted in this calendar. Uh, and so I can't say definitively whether these rhythms will be helpful or distracting to you, but I can share a little bit of my own experience. So I've, I've experienced churches that have really valued the Bible, but often they spent more time arguing about it rather than actually learning from it and living it. Anyone have an experience like that before? Um, On the other hand, I've also experienced churches that really valued living out faith through practicing spiritual disciplines and through community life, but often it wasn't practiced sustainably. And, you know, every time you went to pray or or gather, you kind of had this pressure that there would be this whole revival that would happen or that you would have new breakthroughs every moment. And so the former kind of experience often led to division in the church, whereas the latter often led to personal burnout. And so in the middle of my, uh, my life, just around the end of college or after college, When I was introduced to this calendar of rhythms, it felt to me like a breath of fresh air. 
because it emphasized living the story of the Bible and really living those seasons. But rather than division and burnout, what I experienced was, was the feeling of more connection to God's people, and I also felt more in tune with God himself. So following this calendar, in many ways, in my experience, has united me with Christians from other times and other churches, and it also made space for, as the video said, the full spectrum of spiritual highs and spiritual lows, of grief and of joy, uh, from the, the highs and lows of, of Advent and lament to the celebration of Easter and Christmas, everything, the whole gamut of our experience is, is sort of built into these rhythms. And so it has been very helpful for me and my own experience, and I hope that it might be as we begin to journey through it together a little bit over these next few months. I hope that we would find ourselves united with other churches who practice these kinds of things. I hope we find ourselves drawn more deeply into the story of Scripture. And I also hope that we will grow closer to Jesus, whose story we tell and whose story we live through the practice of these things. So Advent, this is where it all begins. This is where we arrive today. But it's a different kind of beginning. As the video said, Christians tell time differently. Our culture, right, stretches Christmas out, cranking up holiday tunes and starting the sales earlier and earlier every year, right? We were on the way back from the honeymoon. This was before Thanksgiving, and they were already playing Christmas tunes on the airplane. What? What? This... Thanksgiving hasn't even happened yet. Slow down. And you may think that Advent is just kind of a spiritual version of this. We're just going to stretch things out and, and do all this stuff. But Advent is something very different from Christmas. And we talked about this a little bit last week, if you were here, when I talked about the difference between celebration and anticipation. Because Advent is a season of anticipation. Christians when we tell stories, always start before the beginning. We always start before the beginning. The Bible begins with creation, before Eden, but with the God who created. So when you ask about creation, you start not with a garden, but with God. Or the Gospels themselves begin long before the cross or even Jesus, but rather start with the stories of birth, and a voice sounding in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Christian stories always begin before the beginning. And I think the reason for that is because part of following Christ is being a person of anticipation. We start before the beginning because we are called to be people who wait. People who anticipate. The story of the Old Testament is one of God's people longing for and anticipating their arrival and return to the promised land. The prophets speak of that return and of the Messiah who will bring it about. And then today, as followers of Jesus, we live each day with a certain amount of anticipation as we watch for the Spirit to lead us and to guide us. Ultimately, we wait with anticipation for the return of Jesus. 
Because he is going to come and he is going to make all things new. So during this season of Advent, we join with the longing and the anticipation of the prophets who've gone before us. And that's where we're going today. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to go ahead and open it up to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. That's where we are going to be. And as you're turning there, I just want to tell you a little bit about how we're going to be spending the next few weeks together. If you saw up on the screen a second ago, you saw something that said songs of the season. Um, And I already mentioned that this time of year is one particularly filled with music. There are Christmas tunes blaring and all the stories that will drive you mad after a while. Um, But for these weeks, we're going to spend some time on different song texts of Scripture. If you've arrived at Isaiah 11, you'll see that it's written out in verse. Much like the Psalms, the prophets are written as songs. It's poetry. And so we're going to be looking at a number of texts like this over these weeks here, beginning in the Old Testament and also looking at some in the New Testament as well. So let's enter into these songs of the season by hearing the song of the prophets in Isaiah 11, beginning in verse 1. Isaiah says, A shoot shall come out of the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist, and faithfulness the belt around his loins. And as we heard earlier, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let us pray. God, thank you for your word and thank you for your story that you invite us into. God, I pray as that we reflect on these passages, this scripture today, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as we read the prophets, I think there are at least a couple things we need to bear in mind. First, their words were always timely and relevant to the people they spoke to. They're not just future tellers whose words mean nothing to the people 
who they're speaking to. Their words are always timely and relevant to the people they are speaking to. But the second thing we need to bear in mind is that their words echo throughout history and eternity and also speak to us today. And so as Isaiah's audience first heard these prophetic words, I sort of imagine that there may have been two questions that began to arise from them. First, who are we waiting for? And second, well, then how shall we wait? Or another way of saying it, what is our Messiah like? And how do we wait for him? These questions are just as relevant to us today as they were to them. And so they're the questions I want us to consider as we continue reflecting on this passage together today. This passage is a wonderful prophetic text. And as followers of Jesus, I think we can all hear how it begins to resonate and resound in his person and his ministry who came filled with the Spirit, as it said, with righteousness and faithfulness to ultimately bring about the kingdom of God. But before we jump into all of that, we need to start in verse 1 and see some of the context there. Because before the moving of the Spirit, before the righteousness and the justice that's described, before the coming of the kingdom, it starts with a stump, right? It starts with a stump. Look at verse 1. It says, A shoot shall come up from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. If you were to look at the chapters leading up to Isaiah 11, just briefly scan them, you'll see a widespread desolation. You'll see that great trees are torn down, that whole forests are felled. So imagine that desolate landscape of stumps, of debris. This image is one that can feel rather hopeless. The beauty and the protection that the trees had offered is now laid aside to waste and ultimately vulnerability. All has been laid bare. But it's moments like these when God is most prone to move. God is a God who starts with stumps. He starts with the broken, the vulnerable, the hopeless landscapes of our lives. And when we least expect it, a shoot comes forth. A branch grows, not from the surface, but where? Out of the roots. God moves in the depths of our hearts, in the roots of his people, and that is where he begins to bring new life. And so as we just begin entering into this text, as we begin entering into the season of Advent, what are the stumps that are in your life? Where are the areas that you feel most hopeless, most helpless, most vulnerable? I believe that in this Advent season, that that we can lean into that vulnerability with anticipation, knowing that God is a God who starts with stumps, a God who brings new life where it is least expected. So as Isaiah is sharing this with the people of his day, 
they, or he has their attention. They're leaning in. Because where hope has been snuffed out, there is now a glimmer of anticipation. And those questions that I mentioned begin to arise. What is our Messiah like? And how do we wait for him? There's going to be this shoot out of the stump. What does that look like? And I think the rest of this passage is just a description of that. Who he is and how we wait. And as followers of Jesus, we confess that the Messiah is Jesus Christ. And so that's what this passage is about. It's about Jesus. So I hope that as we go through it, we might lean closer into him. So in verse 2, we see that the Messiah comes filled with the Spirit. Now just think about Jesus. Jesus' life was surrounded by the Spirit at every turn. His birth was a result of the Spirit coming upon Mary, the Virgin. At his baptism, the Spirit descended upon him from heaven like a dove. Throughout his ministry, he followed the Spirit into the desert, into each town, and ultimately into the cross, where he cried out to God, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then three days later, that spirit moved once more to bring life, this time not from a womb, but from a tomb, at the reality of resurrection broke out into the world. So who are we waiting for? We're waiting for the one who's filled with the Spirit. The one who brings new life wherever he goes. And this one is Jesus, the Son of God, who is coming to make all things new. So as Scripture testifies, the Spirit and the bride, that's the church, say, come. During this season of Advent, I hope that we can join with the Spirit in that longing. Come, Lord Jesus, come. So the Messiah, Jesus, is someone filled with the Spirit. Look down in verses 3 through 5. There we see the Messiah is one who brings about justice, true justice, that's untainted by partiality and preference. It says, he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Now, doesn't that sound just like Jesus? Think about his words, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Whenever Jesus came, look at the people he spent his time with. His disciples were a ragtag bunch of folks. There was Simon the Zealot, who was among those who wanted to overthrow the Roman rule of Israel. But then on the other hand, there was Matthew, who was a tax collector who actually worked for the Roman government. Somehow both of those guys came together in the disciples of Jesus. Or another couple people to consider. There was Peter, the outgoing loudmouth, as everyone knows, um, But then there was also John, who's kind of painted as this quieter one who wrote this incredibly poetic 
gospel that we have, the gospel of John. Two totally different personalities coming together among the disciples of Jesus. Jesus does not judge by what his eyes see or what his ears hear. He called a whole diversity of people to follow him. And ultimately, they don't spend their time together with the lofty and powerful, but on the streets where there were prostitutes and tax collectors. You see, though Jesus was filled with the Spirit, he did not stand apart from the world, but rather joined it fully. And that's what it means, I think, to bring about justice. Going back to that word, to raise up the lowly and then to bring down the ones who stand in defiance. And look at what it goes on to say. It says, He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist, and faithfulness the belt around his loins. You see, Christ comes to the earth, and he dwells upon the earth, but he does not leave it the same as he found it. He strikes it with the rod of his mouth, and kills the wicked with the breath of his lips. Now, what does this mean? I think this begins to move into that second question, how shall we wait? Because it could be really easy to hear these words and then start rallying together to kill the wicked or to snuff out those who defy God. And if you look to church history, it's been tried. It's been done. A lot of blood has been spilt. But there's more than one way to kill the wicked. I think the breath of his lips is most clearly seen when Christ is being nailed to the cross and he speaks, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. I think that the death of the wicked is seen most clearly when the Roman centurion, spear in hand, looks up to the lifeless body of Jesus and exclaims, surely this man was the Son of God. Jesus kills the wicked not by executing them, but by being executed for them. Not by condemning them, but by transforming them. And that, I think, is why our passage ends. Not with a picture of war, but a picture of absolute peace. Verses 6 through 8, it says, The wolf shall live with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid. The calf and the lion, the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear, the child and the snake. You see all these images in these final verses. The kingdom that the Messiah brings is not one where wolves and leopards and lions and bears are put to death because of the threat that they bring, but rather they are transformed into peaceable creatures who can be dwelt with. The kingdom that Christ brings is one where all threats and dangers will be brought to an end. There will be no need 
for worry. I'm thinking about this month, uh, is this towards the end of the year is always the month when health insurance opens up and, you know, open enrollment and that kind of thing. This past week, uh, I got, Caitlin and I signed up for health insurance. And I don't know if any of you have had to do that uh, this year or before. People sign up for insurances of all kinds, health insurance, car insurance, home insurance, on and on, because there might be sickness, accidents, robberies, and catastrophes. But in this image of the coming kingdom, there will be no need for those kinds of insurances because there's no threat of sickness. There's no threat of violence. And there is no worry of catastrophe. There will be no crying. There will be no pain. No need for worry, no conflict. It'll be a kingdom of peace where, as it says, there will be uh, no hurt or destruction. No one will be hurt or destroyed on God's holy mountain. Does this stir up longing in you? Anticipation, desire. We wait for the Messiah. And how is it that we shall wait? Not with war or with vengeance, but rather with peace. So as we come to an end here, I want to ask you some questions just to consider as we enter into this season of Advent, of waiting and anticipation. So the coming Messiah is filled with the Spirit. I wonder how might we be a people who walk more closely with the Spirit during this season of waiting? Again, maybe it's just as I've said before, five minutes in the morning, five minutes in the evening. Take some time to sit and wait with the Spirit, to pray, maybe to reflect on a passage of Scripture, maybe this passage of Scripture. To let the Spirit enter and move and bring forth those shoots out of the stumps of hopelessness. The second question, the coming Messiah is one who is filled with justice. He doesn't judge by what his eyes see or his ears hear. And the question I have, how might you join Jesus in bringing about this justice upon the earth during this season of Advent? Who is God calling you to see who is God calling you to hear? Who are the people to serve, to have mercy on, to show love in this season? And finally, the Messiah who is coming is filled with peace, and he's ushering in a kingdom of peace. So how might you become a person of peace during this season? Who is God calling you to make peace with? Or amidst the busyness and anxiety that this season often holds, especially in our culture, how might we keep our peace throughout it? He comes with peace and he offers it to us.
I hope that during this season of Advent, we can lean into Jesus, who brings the Spirit and ushers in his kingdom. I hope that our longings might be able to come forth as we wait for the day, as it says, when the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Amen.